Alright guys, um, we're back again with uh, Cross the Owls, and uh, today we're going to start talking about startups. Um, when we first brought up the idea of a startup, I thought I had an idea of what it was, and turns out I have no idea. So we have our guest today, Dustin, who's going to talk to us a little bit about what startups are, and um, give us kind of the rundown in layman's terms. Hi, okay, so yeah, um, my name's Dustin, I actually work at a startup, um, but uh, the, the word startup is kind of used loosely, um, you know... It, Strictly speaking, it refers to a, a, a new, a newly emerging business, um, and, and it typically involves a company that, um, you know, it's like high stakes. Um, they have to move fast. They they get funding, and they have to like prove themselves really quickly. Um, you know, the word startup isn't used as, as commonly for, for say like for a business that was started by another business that already has like a ton of backing and you know like a big uh, you know. Uh, Let's say Google, you know, um, starting up a new sub business for some new technology may not be referred to as a startup. But like I said, the term's very loose, and um, like a lot of people still refer to Facebook and Netflix as startups, even though they've kind of been around for a while. You know, so it would be like an emerging or business. Emerging. That, okay. So I think that's a good word. Yeah. yeah. When I was looking at it, it, seemed to be that defining characteristics were entrepreneurship. Um, and investment from outside sources. Yes. Uh, would you say that's always the case? Uh, yeah, um, I, I don't know about always, but I mean almost always. I would yeah. definitely say almost always, yeah. Um, you usually have, you have seed funders, which um, they do... Could be like a close friend, um, a seed funder? Not necessarily. Um, could be, could be through connections that you have, but there's also a big investment community, especially like in Silicon Valley. You've got the tech people and the business people, and they kind of live in their own worlds, and then they, they rely on it's a co-reliant relationship. Um, and then there's like sort of different categories. It's almost like it's like Pokemon, you know. There's these different categories of uh, investors, which I find interesting. Uh, you get the seed funders, and those are the, the people that um, they'll invest really early, and they they uh, they invest a very small amount of money, um, and and they make lots of investments. So a seed funder is going to go and like invest in like 50 different startups. And if one if those if one of those startups is successful, then all that money they spent was worth it. You so know? it's diversifying their portfolio essentially. Yes, it's okay. very low risk. Um, and then you've got venture capitalists, which usually come in a little bit later. Or um, I think angel investors is another term I, I hear you. And I'm not, to be honest, sure of the difference. But. I know the difference on oh. this. I actually I saw a video on a day, and I thought the angel and VC was really interesting. So they said VC or venture capitalists were people that invested other people's money, like pools of money that collected by other people into um, a, a business. Uh, they're basically doing it for other people as like a stock option type thing um, or as an investment. And an angel is investing their personal cash into startups. Ah, okay, great. Right. Um, so the angel, and they said... Uh, why they're referred to as angels is usually if someone's investing a lot of money in a personal startup, they're a well-known person. Like, you know, if they, if Angel Zach um, has already made billions of dollars uh, with this app that he's created and he comes to you and is like, I want to invest this much money and peop you know you're going to get more interest because this guy who's created this thing that everyone gotcha. loves is interesting to you. Guaranteed success to a Yeah, yeah, it's connection. He has a reputation for being a successful entrepreneur, so yeah, it makes sense. Is it weird that I actually have a vague, like, reference that I could make that involves that exact idea that people may not know with one of the biggest franchises in the entire world? Zach with a vague <laughs> reference? That never happened. <laughs> I know. So, weirdly enough, that a, a very, very we similar need a, story a, to a that. We a soundbite for that. Yeah. <laughs> so, a weird thing with that, when it comes to the idea of like taking your own money and then investing it into this new idea, a similar thing happened with Game Freak, the company that we know that oh, made wow, Pokemon. Okay. Yeah. Originally was legitimately just three or four people in a garage who were printing Japanese game magazines called Game Freak. That's why they're called Game Freak. I didn't know that until like two or three years ago when I was like doing research on why the hell the name of a video game company is called Game Freak. I don't know if it was some weird inside <laughs> joke. 
But apparently, it's it was, nerd nerding out. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was like one of the first game magazines to circulate Japan, and it wasn't hugely successful because they were like losing a bit of money. But that was their thing; they were making magazines. And then, what ended up happening was, if I remember this correctly, the person who had the idea for Pokemon ever since the early '90s ended up meeting and getting a business meeting with Nintendo that thought it was a good idea to possibly look into magazines and then they thought about Nintendo Power because they were going to incorporate like the same people because oh well, we have Nintendo Power and you have Game Freak so why don't we you know take some of your people and you can take your articles and write them in Nintendo Power which is a huge publication right yeah it's massive and then Nintendo invested a bunch of money into a subset of Game Freak which kind of got absolved into Nintendo a little bit but it was only after this like weirdness where they started to work for each other's magazines and then Game Freak magazine kind of stopped and then they only started doing Nintendo Power and kind of took over Nintendo Power and then the creator of Mario and Zelda finally gave in to making Pokemon and then said fuck it that's fine you can you you can do the thing but you have a year and you need to only use our C team for development. Oh, and it has to be in the Game Boy box. And that explains <laughs> the startup screen that I watched so many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That's uh, this whole. All right, I, I have to say I feel ridiculous, but I thought you were talking about Pokemon, like not necessarily the video game, but the cards and everything. And I was oh, like, what? No, this doesn't sound right at all. Actually, that's crazy. Well, Nintendo did the same thing again with Wizards of the Coast with the Pokemon uh, trading card game. <clears throat> Which is why there are like why base set for Pokemon is so expensive it has fucking nothing to do with the rarity of the cards. It has to do with like how Wizards of the Coast started printing the cards, and the cards literally changed from one printing cycle to the next because uh, Nintendo didn't want to redo their contract. Weird. Wow. See, Pokemon. Like, so hey, Pokemon is- podcast, everybody. <laughs> Pokemon every day, all day. Pokemon. <laughs> Just kidding. The topic's Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, so like, was Nintendo just going around just absorbing companies? Like, is like, that why everything's, of? like, Nintendo-branded? Um, okay, <laughs> that so... Nintendo does? Nintendo's not a startup, by the way. No, <laughs> Nintendo, actually, they kind of were the original startup. Well, at one point. Hanafudo yeah. cards, sir. Hanafudo cards. If I'm pronouncing that weird Japanese word right. So, I- startups... <laughs> They, they're not always startups. They become full-fledged companies, right? That's the goal. That's yeah. That's the goal. And of course, I don't, you know, it's, it's now is the goal to be bought by another company or to become so successful on your own? Seems like a lot of startups are just bought out by yes, other more successful that, companies. That seems to be the primary goal of most startups. Is um, after about like anywhere from three to five years, usually they want to sell um, and. Sometimes, you know, it's just somebody who isn't necessarily an entrepreneur, but they had a good idea, and, and, and they do that. Um, or you've got, you know, the serial entrepreneurs who um, will either find other people with ideas uh, or, or, what, or, you know, come up with their own ideas. But, yeah, um, it seems like, from what I've seen, most people just want to sell. Um, it depends you know. on if you want to get sucked or be the one getting sucked. <laughs> yeah, right. Pretty much. Right. Um, you know, but I, I, I would guess that the people who, you know, are just developers and then they come up with an idea and they're not really trying to, those those people are probably more likely to stick with their company, you know. Right. Honestly, right. I've always kind of thought of, like, three different branches of startup, at least from, like, the idea of the business and, like, what its intentions are. I've always thought of, like, you have the classic startup, which is, like, you know, Facebook, Netflix, all this stuff where, like, some person comes up with an idea and they want to execute on it so doing what i i always attribute to you know steve jobs and bill gates with the whole like we're just gonna be in our parents garage and we're gonna come up with this idea like the classic kind of like new american dream kind of like of the 80s and 90s and we're gonna come up with this product and we're gonna do this or we're gonna come up with this service and do this essentially they go okay well here's what we're going to do. We are going to develop this technology and we're going to make it as big as possible and we're going to get a bunch of investors and then we're going to return all of their investment tenfold and we're going to keep on going with this until we just burn out. And the idea of like becoming the Facebook and becoming the Netflix and feeling like like having a lot of faith in your company that you can actually, you know, 
go the distance in this, you know, kind of entrepreneurial fight. And then you have the businesses that are, well, we're pretty sure that Apple wants to use this technology at some point, so we're going to develop it, we're going to get our investors to put money into it, oh. and then we're going to sit over here and wait for you know Apple or Microsoft or Samsung to come over here and just buy out our company or ask to license right. out our product, which is weird because that's actually what Steve Jobs did in the 90s. But so you're saying some companies specifically look and go, oh, this technology, someone will want it well, yeah, and I, we'll it, develop it so they'll buy it. Well, I didn't even know that was really a thing until I was doing research into Steve Jobs for, like, it, it was a long time ago, but I was interested in Steve Jobs, his life, and, like, what he did. And then he's that's when I learned. Yeah, I mean, he's a complete bastard, but he's oh, yeah. a goddamn genius yeah, when it comes genius to Genius bastard. Yeah. Genius, genius bastard. But Gates is a bastard too. Yeah, oh, yeah. no well, love. An oh. interesting thing. An interesting thing that he did though, Steve Jobs, is he developed an OS specifically so that Apple would have to buy his company out so that they could use the OS on their new Macintosh because the old OS was burning out. Shiesty. And yeah, that was like a weird thing. And then I was doing research into it, and then I started to learn that. That's kind of a thing people do, that instead of trying to get back at a company like Steve Jobs was doing, they come huh. up with technology they think that a corporation might eventually need or want, and then they execute on it. Like, yeah, because they outthink them. They out, yeah, exactly. uh, outsee they, them. They so what, wait, what was the third kind then? The third kind is essentially like the kind of middle ground. Of, they don't necessarily have a plan for, we want to go the distance, or we want to do this for a company, but they see something that's like a need that they're trying to fill, where it's like, all right, well, I have this idea, and I just want to do it. I just want to see what happens with it. And it's more a casual startup where, right. you know, I think this would be something that would do well, or I think maybe someone would want to buy this in the future. Is and that on the same level as, like, a patent troll? Like, they will, like, oh, I think that someone might come no, up no, with this I, idea. I, I'm, I'm saying this, like, it. I'm saying this in a more earnest sense, where it's okay. like you have, like, the Napster people who, they weren't trying to become a big company, and they weren't trying to develop a, oh, yeah. a, okay. a like company that was big. Me and Bailey and asked me if I can work on their app. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like the people who made Napster literally made Napster because they wanted to share music with their friends. Gotcha. Nap that's why right. they made Napster, well, and then that's why Facebook uh, was created too. He wanted to uh, find a way to basically connect with uh, people in his school. Yeah. It was basically you know? it yeah. was a it was a digital yearbook essentially. Is what yeah. I yeah. thought. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was a digital yearbook. Yeah, and I think a big part of um, like for Facebook for is to use an example success um, goes back to that whole the, the fact that Mark Zuckerberg started. Facebook and he you know he eventually incorporated it and but he's had controlling shares for its entire existence yeah. um, I think he owns like 30% of the shares which is enough to where he I think it's a little bit more I can't remember yeah I don't remember the exact amount but um, you know so th whatever his his vision has been there for the, the, the entire time. yeah for the entire so lifetime like, of Facebook so didn't he get um, an offer like someone offered oh, to buy it like for like at people billions so of dollars people, like uh, it was the highest like that oh, any Anyone had ever um, um, kind of before. he wasn't like necessarily offered AOL it. or one of those? Yeah, it yeah. was it was um, if I remember correctly, it was like Yahoo or something. Okay, yeah, it was Yahoo. Right. It, it, it was Yahoo that had offered him a bunch. <laughs> of money. That's ironic because Yahoo just got bought in the biggest tech company sale ever. Oh, ever, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's Yahoo. Well, people, people forget that Yahoo was one of the biggest things on the internet, like. Google kind of helped kill Yahoo. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. yeah. Yahoo had offered Zuckerberg like a a lot of money simply because I mean, um, yeah. if I remember correctly, like there was some weirdness where it was like <coughs> Yahoo kind of wanted to have like the Friendster thing. Mm, okay. And then when Friendster died and then MySpace replaced it, like slowly but surely. And then when they saw Facebook coming up, they're like, well, Facebook is the next step. It's going to replace MySpace. They're like, you're fucking stupid. MySpace is forever. Fucking top eight all week. We all thought that. We all thought yeah. that. Well, I mean, I was seven, but um, not exaggerating. I was seven in MySpace's hand. I was like 12, 13, yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, that was a weird I thing. It's like, well, I just think that startups, in my opinion, have, it, it's a transitionary phase for a company. Like, every company starts with some person having some idea for something. And then, <laughs> over a little bit of time, it either develops into something or it develops into nothing. They just, 
You know, no yeah. one wants to invest money. It doesn't go far. Well, and a lot of times, like, it's a good idea, but it's just poorly <laughs> executed. And um, so th that's why you have these organizations in Silicon Valley that exist solely as, um, like, essentially headhunters. They go and they find budding startups that they think would be good, but, you know, maybe these people don't have, like, the business acumen yeah. to, to do it successfully. <laughs> and one, one of these companies um, is actually responsible for Reddit. It's called Y Combinator. Mm. Okay. And they they oh. act, they do an application process every year, and they choose a certain number of startups that they personally work with. Like they have like people agents or whatever that that I mean become an integral part of that startup, and do everything they can to get them to succeed. And then they make a percentage of their profits for the the remainder of their existence, <laughs> which is a small price to pay for some an idea that could potentially probably would have gone nowhere without them. You know what I mean? And there's other companies that are doing that um, for that reason. Um, you know, but that's, it's kind of, I find that interesting. You know, you think about how many, like, you know, actually genuinely useful things that could improve people's lives, which I'll have to admit most startups aren't that. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, didn't happen because they weren't marketed well. You're thinking you know? about it from the standpoint that there's a lot of organizations, there's a lot of people that have ideas. And even, like, you know, I come up with ideas on a regular basis, and I'm just like, um, well, oh, I should do this thing. And then when you actually go and do research, it's like, oh, there's already like three or four or five people doing the same thing. Right. And then you realize that like, yeah, there's hundreds of people doing the same thing, but it doesn't necessarily matter. Your way is going to be different than someone else's way. Like, for example, what is the difference between Lyft and Uber? I don't know. <laughs> they do like the yeah. same thing. The logo. Well, they started different. differently. Like, but like they're the same it's company, but they're still, they're still almost, and they're not equally, but they're still both really successful. You yeah, know? So, I think, yeah. I think that more so just comes down to, I don't know what I would call this effect, but it, it just comes down to this weird thing I've noticed where once you have one giant pop up, another one just has to be there to like help the other one along. Like, being a, a fairly big hip-hop fan, like people forget in the 90s, there was a huge, huge fighting between who is a better producer P. Diddy or Dr. Dre. And the thing is, every time that P. Diddy did something that was like a, a forwarding move for hip-hop as a culture and as a business sense, then the West Coast people who are working for Dre, their album sales boomed. Every time Dre came up with, you know, a, a new super group, P. Diddy comes up with another great super group. Every time that a record label gets fused into bad boys then dr dre is like all right fine so uh, let me call up these people and then add them to my record line and sign these right. people and it's like a natural kind what, of thing there's a theory and i don't remember exactly what that theory is called but like there's like the whole like you put two starbucks across each other and they both boom like in here in st oh, Pete, yeah. there's two publixes there's actually two sets effect. of two publics right across the street from each other and they're both like it's like Always number busy. two and number three Hot, like like most selling publixes in in the in in the areas like how they're they're well, with, same store different um different bit like so different companies in the same business model I think that there's a word for that it's the gas station effect is what they call it because yeah. um, ah, yeah. like if you're trying to find out where to build your gas station putting it on an intersection that already has a gas station is like going to be your best bet because people already know to go there to get gas and if you're on the more convenient side of the road well okay screw it or if your prices are a little bit lower yeah. they're going to go to you. Because nobody has brand loyalty to a gas station, yeah. you know. So, really, some people do. Oh, I'm sure some. We people live do. in America. Yeah. Everything's possible. <laughs> That's true. Um, I only buy Shell gas. <laughs> <laughs> Their dinosaurs are way cleaner. Must be something I don't know. Fuck Wawa. Fuck Wawa. Yeah, Wawa is delicious. delicious. Shell is happy. Sandwiches. <laughs> Shell's is Shell the one owned by Venezuela. Probably. I don't. I remember. believe Shell's owned by Venezuela. Whoa. Uh, really? Yeah, <laughs> I don't actually only buy Shell. Um, no, that's not right. It's not Shell. It's not Shell. It's someone. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, so, all right, Dustin, this, this is something that's really funny to me. If you just go onto like YouTube and type in startup, you either get really boring like business tutorials that are like <laughs> from Forbes and stuff, right. or skits about startup culture um specifically silicon valley startup yeah. culture uh could you speak to that a little bit like maybe give an example of what it is uh or 
if it's an accurate depiction or if that's only really over there and that's not sure. startups in general? Yeah, um, well, that culture definitely emanates from Silicon Valley. That's like, that is the origin of startup culture. Um, and like, I haven't personally been, but I know people that have friends there and who have been there um, and lived there. And um, what I've heard is that the, the show, Silicon Valley, is extremely accurate. It's a little bit behind because it, it, they... they they'll watch what's going on and then they'll make the show to model that. Right. Um, but the rise and fall of companies and stuff too, um, in the intro to the show, they do this little animation of, it's like an isometric pixel graphics of, you know, Silicon Valley with all the companies and stuff and the billboards that come up and down and the company signs that come up and down. And that's actually an accurate reflection of, of the, um, like the what's, what's happening. But so yeah, that culture definitely or originates there, but it's not exclusive to there. And you know, so the company I work for, GUI, um, we're a lighting company. We do basically connected uh, internet, internet of things, embedded lighting. systems. Um, yeah, um, it falls into that category. IoT is kind of our main category, but it's you know connecting lights to the internet and then doing smart things with them. You know, what um, is going on with all your acronyms? Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> IoT, yeah, internet. Of, yeah, um, I know tech people love acronyms. It's kind of frustrating. <laughs> well, but I found out that apparently you say a lot people of just love jargon for the sake of jargon. My girlfriend introduced me to planner videos, and I heard the term deco, and I didn't. I didn't know. Can you guess what it means? Can you guess what it means? No. It's decoration. Wow. <laughs> really? Right. Sorry, that's just, if she listens to this, she knows that, like, more than just me thinks that's weird. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, well, that's weird. <laughs> with the acronyms and with, like, connecting to the internet, before we go off into, like, the true culture, I would like to ask one thing, and it's, do you think that coding is, in a sense of, if you put enough effort into it, you can pretty much teach yourself what we used to view mechanics back in the 1900s. Because like mechanics in the 1900s, if you knew how an engine worked, you knew how an engine worked. Oh, yeah. You could, you, you could take that, that language kind of, of machinery and transport it into working on tractors, motorcycles, cars, even boilers systems if you wanted to. And coding to me kind of has that same impact where it's you can teach yourself you can work on your own projects and then like the more you learn the more applicable your knowledge is like there are some mechanics out there that have been working on uh, engines and specific kinds of vehicles for so long that they can just look at a car watch someone go to turn it on for three seconds and just go yeah the exhaust is fucked and yeah, I think well, that some coders have that ability too yeah, I, I think what you're kind of getting at is like standards um, and yes. you know um, like right so in the automotive industry um, as things have progressed companies are making their cars more and more unique so like a Volvo and a, um, a Honda are going to have less and less in common and somebody could be a great Volvo mechanic but would be totally lost in a Honda um, not 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 entirely, but it's moving in that direction. But tech's actually moved in the opposite direction. Okay. Um, at first, there were all these competing standards and companies that wanted to uh, own the technology. Um, Java was one of those. Java was is a closed source proprietary link. It might be open source now, but but I'm now sure everything's open source. I mean, like all of the main languages people use, and there's like very very strong informal and formal standards that are found in all these technologies. So absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, just learning one programming language um, makes it so much easier to learn learn another one. You but know? wouldn't you also say that there's a bit of <laughs> an analogousness to the idea of like some kid who is bored and decides to learn how to code like a Java game or, you know, just fools around with C++ even though I'm pretty sure that's not a good language from what all of my tech people say. They hate C++ for some reason. Is that a thing? It's not a fan favorite. Okay. For sure. That's yeah. what I, I, I just a, always hear a that. crowd favorite, yeah. And, and it's kind of similar to a weird idea that I've seen when it comes to like looking at history and like some really big, like one of the first startups I would say is Harley Davidson and they were literally two bicycle mechanics who decided to start working on motorcycles and they self-taught themselves and now they're huge which is kind of similar to the same idea we have when we think of like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates in the tech world where they just taught themselves how to do this and then decided this is what I want to do for the rest of my life and this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life and then kind of self-taught themselves because if you're someone who knows how to code 
whether like whatever your language is if somebody asks hey can you code python you're no better or worse than somebody who went to college or you know, oh, really? got formal yeah. lessons to do it just like someone who is working in their garage for 10 years is no better or worse than the mechanic who spent 10 years in, in school doing it i mean as someone that works for a college i will say that there is something to be said about people that already have the drive and desire to do something for example i get calls on a regular basis people like i want to learn how to code and it's just like if you are calling me to tell you what classes you need to take to turn, learn how to code, you're already behind the eight ball in my in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Most of the people that I know, that, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say like I'm not saying that no, like no, you that know you shouldn't do it. I never though. discourage anybody, but I find that like and it's the same thing with tech related um, because like oh I want to um, you know get my C plus certification. Most of the people that I know that are really good at either you know computer hardware or software started doing it by self teaching. And then eventually when they needed it for a job or something, then they went to school. They didn't start out by, I want to learn how to code, so I'm going to go to school. Right. You know, they started doing it. it, And then when they hit like a roadblock that they couldn't get over, like, you know, okay, maybe I need to go to school to get over this roadblock. Or maybe I need to go to school to get this job. But they didn't start out with, you know, the traditional educational route. I have a theory on that. Um, I think that might be because... And I think it could be changing because it might have been, in the past, uh, it wasn't taken as seriously. Like, even when we were growing up, not that long ago, you know, we're mostly in our mid-20s, Dex in his early 20s, uh, you're in your early 30s. (laughs) Um, I'm a old man. I'm in my late 20s. Uh, (laughs) So anyways, when, you know, us growing up, it wasn't taken quite that seriously. Like, look at the media portrayal of anyone you see touching a computer in films in the 80s and 90s. They're almost definitely a loser. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, you know, in whatever sense of the word. Um, in, in the social sense. Yeah, in, in the way the film wants to portray them. Right. Uh, and it became, oh, wow, that's really, I can do something with this. Like, mm-hmm. people want this skill, and I've already been doing it because I love it, and that's what I am. And now kids are being told, or young adults are being told, Hey, or middle-aged people are being told, this is what's coming next. This is how you can still have a job in 20 years. You better learn it. Well, right. here's what I think the issue with that comes to be is that the resources that you are, you're basically trying to learn how to do something that the information about how to do it is on that thing. Does that make sense? <laughs> no, no. It, like it, you're trying to learn how to program where most of the... <laughs> There's really, really good resources, at least to get you started, on the computer. You know, so yeah. it'd be like, I wanna, I wanna learn how to, you know, program in Python, or I wanna learn, you know, simple, whatever it is. There's, you should already know, yeah, what that programming language is called. The, you, you probably know, know like, they are. There's apps out there that teach uh, yeah. elementary school kids how to program games. I was, and yeah, stuff. I was just Visual learning. Programming. I, I was yeah. just, uh, tools. Yeah. Arduino, I think, wasn't Arduino basically created to teach kids how to code? Um, I don't know about kids. I know it was created for, like, hobbyists. Hobbyists. I mean, yeah, yeah. kids. But it's, it's basically created to teach people how to code. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it was like, it's an open source platform and prototyping and stuff like that. It, they, they made it accessible and easy. And it's just like, here's the stuff, and here's the instructions on how to do the stuff. You know, um, I, I feel as though, like, when it comes to technology, coding, programming, any of that stuff, I feel like they're... It's one of those few industries where you don't have to necessarily go get a degree to do it. I'm, and I'm going to say, I'm not knocking. I, I'm a huge believer in higher ed. I mean, that's what I do. But I feel as though there's so much information and resources out there that you can go and teach yourself to a certain level and get to the point where you're profitable. No, you're, and, you're and get a good job. Right. And like, I don't have a degree. And like I, you know, I have a great, great job. And my, I talked to my boss about this, and he said that um, having a degree is actually now he's this isn't representative of everyone, but mm-hmm. he said if you have a degree, and he, he interviews two people, one has a degree, one doesn't, and they're at equal skill levels, everything else checks out, he's going to pick the one without the degree because they that showed that they're passionate enough to learn that stuff on their own. They didn't have to go to school and pay money for somebody to you know grade them and do all that, which nothing wrong with that. But and that but seems... uh, and he told me that having a degree, the really the only thing it does, it might make it a little easier to get a job, but the main thing it does in, in this industry is it nets you a higher starting pay. So after a few years, 
I mean, that degree is pretty much useless. You know, you, you have the job experience. That's the main thing that matters. That's the experience. The second thing is, uh, you know, proving that you know what, what, what you're doing, do. which and has so nothing to do with That seems like a really positive thing about the startup culture is a normal business would absolutely hire the person with the degree over yeah. the person without the degree, where the startup, I think they value well, that I spirit think a little bit more. Absolutely. Because they yeah. want you to work like crazy. Yeah, that's a, that's kind of the the dark side to the startup world. Yeah, <laughs> almost no one um, I know that programs. I know like four programmers, including you. None of them have a degree, and they all make considerably more than I do. <laughs> well, I, I think <laughs> so that all comes depressing. down to that that similar idea because like a weird, like I was kind of pointing out with the Harley Davidson thing is like when we think of startups and we think of startup culture, like when I look at it from a historical perspective most of what we understand as modern startup culture very much did or like originate in silicon valley and like a few other smaller pockets i would say but not enough to be significant and i i think the reason that silicon valley kind of defined what startups are is just the pure volume of what was there like the amount of startups that popped up in silicon valley uh valley because of all of these weird things where you had a bunch of tech companies that had just started to get more popular, you know. I am, uh, 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 IBM is rising in popularity, so more people who know computers and understand mm-hmm. all that go to Silicon Valley because they're looking for jobs at IBM. And then those who didn't get jobs at IBM but were still smart might have made up smaller little companies, you know. Your, right. your Apples and your proto-Googles and everything else of what was there. Proto-Google. Yeah. Like that well, I, I say that because, like... That's going to be the name of my new band, the proto-Googles. Well, what I understand, <laughs> well, what I understand with Google is that, like, most of the people that we understand that made Google were, like, working for other companies and then eventually just all got fired and then just, like, started to make, like, this small little project and then it became fucking you're like, I mean, you got fired from Google, too? I hate Google. Let's make a better Google. Proto-Google. Well, like, here's the thing that, like, I thought was interesting is, like, companies, like, and I think it's Google, or maybe Facebook, they allow their employees time to work on other projects. Oh, yeah. It, so, it's like, instead, is it, like, did it, they... It's, it's Google, and they have a very interesting philosophy with it, and it's weird because I think that when it comes to, like, I don't think Google is perfect or fantastic, mm-hmm. but... When we're talking about from like a business perspective, I think that Google, at the end of the day, is the most, <clears throat> I want to say, neutral good that exists. And I'm saying that because whenever you look at what technology comes out of Google, most of the shit that you look at, you're like, that's amazing. We're pet projects that yeah. were made at Google. Nearly all of them that I can think of, Android, pet project. Mm-hmm. That was an... Uh, that, yeah, eventually, towards the end of it, when they yeah, were talking about that's why they do it, that, is so that they can, uh, but, you know, eventually find stuff that their employees are working on that they can yeah. incorporate into their actual but, business. Well, is it something yeah. that, like, encourages not only innovation within the company, but it discourages p- people from leaving? Yeah, oh, people well, hate, like, yeah, I've, yeah, I've I mean, because it's, it's um, you know, a lot of startups um, have, you know, like Adam mentioned, uh, touched on this, very intense requirements, and the programmers are pushed very hard. And, um, and so offering that free time where it's like, okay, you have to like come into work or be present for work, but you can work on whatever you want. You can work on your own personal projects as long as you're bettering yourself. That, that has the dual purpose of giving them a break so they don't get burnt out, but also potentially adding, like this happens at my company. We do hack days twice a month, which we call it a hack day, where we come into work and we can work on whatever we want. We have to be bettering ourselves as developers, but it doesn't matter what it is. You can't play Call of Duty. Right, you can't play Call of Duty, but what I mean, I like one of my coworkers <laughs> created a um, a smart beer pressure sensor on our keg, our kegerator. Um, so you have that, a kegerator? Yeah, we have a kegerator. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, How yeah. do I get it on this? Uh, <laughs> but like, it, it tracks like the it, it can it tells it tells you when the beer's out and like how much beer is in it, and and it also tells you when people go to get beer, which I mean nobody cares, but it's just you know it was just a fun little project. Um, but then there have been like I made something that my coworkers are using, um, and one of my other coworkers did as well, just for fun, and yeah. it ended up being useful. So, What'd you make? Um, it's uh, it's um, okay. So for all you developers listening, it's a um, a testing client for REST APIs that allows you to use templating um, to basically uh, reduce the amount of repetition involved in testing out your API. Hey guys, make yourself visible to the audience. <laughs> if you know what that meant. Now, but we're, pause the podcast now. 
and before Dustin explains what he said, please tell us what he said, and then we'll grade you on your performance. (laughs) (laughs) I think I kind of understand that. Like, can we guess this? Like, what that meant? What that means? I really have no idea. (laughs) I I know API is something that's like integral to processing. It would take me like several hours to explain, um, and, and that's I okay. already know, no. okay. you know, HTTP and, and stuff like that. Okay, I so mean, it was on like the same thing I was thinking of. Before. Very specialized knowledge. Uh, yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> in my field, it's general knowledge, but... It's, honestly, that's pretty amazing. Honestly, an interesting <laughs> thing I've kind of noticed is that uh, there have been a point in my life where I thought, like, I don't know really what I want to do, but like the three things that have always kind of stuck with me have been marine biology, like ever since I was a little kid. English and just like teaching English and writing and like that kind of field. And just talking. Yeah, just talking. <laughs> but also linguistics. <laughs> and one thing I love about linguistics is that depending on how many languages you speak depends on how you think. Mm. And an interesting thing I've realized is that we're starting to reach the point where we accept coding as an <clears throat> actual language and not a, like a pseudo language where it's people speak it but it's not like real. Like no one. No one's going to put on their job application that they fucking speak Klingon. Yeah. But it doesn't make it any less of a language than French. Yeah. But when it comes to coding and this weird language of computing, I think it's interesting to see how people have started to evolve <laughs> in the sense of, you know, Python is a language, it's not a programming tool yeah. anymore. You know, like all of these all of these things that we call languages now in in the development and coding and tech world that we've come to love and kind of understand to different degrees, as you can see from two minutes ago. (laughs) But now we're starting to see them less as tools to, you know, oh, I want to do this, so I need to make sure I have this tool and this tool. And more so, like, you're kind of communicating and trying to, like, reach a point of kind of understanding between you and the computer and, like, if yeah. I want to anthropomorphize the computer a little bit. I don't know how many parallels you can really draw, though, because, um, co- you know, computer programming, computers don't, they don't, um, you have to be exact, like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, if, if, you, I, if you put an A somewhere where you're supposed to put a B or something, like, it would, your whole program won't work, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's almost like, like it's um, the classic joke of, you know, the wife told his developer husband to go to the store and get milk, and if they have egg, get a dozen. So he came back with a dozen gallons of milk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's right. exactly what you think it is, but my argument against that is that that's kind of how languages develop. Like, a, like that kind of happens in all languages around the world, where you can interpret, because humans have the ability to interpret, but when you really go back, if you told someone to do something, but you meant to, for them to do something different, they're going to still go do that thing you told them the first time. And I think that we're starting to move towards, maybe I'm being a little bit optimistic or, yeah, I guess optimistic, that we may reach a point where it becomes more and more of a language. But I mean, the analogousness between the languages is that, you know, unlike before, where everything was proprietary, and, you, like, if you wanted to look at what was wrong in your program at Apple on your on your Macintosh 2, you could do that, but you're going to have to learn their version of their OS. And if you want to do the same thing on a, on a Microsoft, you're going to have to do the same thing on a Microsoft and relearn their language. Right. But with, you know, if you're a Python developer, you can talk with another Python developer about Python, and you'll understand each other perfectly, like a language. But it's more like you're speaking, like developer English, or like whatever language you happen to speak, where it's like you can talk to each other about the language but unless I understand Python or I understand the coding language you're talking about, I'm going to be lost in what you're asking me to do. Right. Like if I develop for Java and you, you know, tell tell me about your, your program in C++, I'm going to be lost, but I might be able to understand because I already speak a version of that language, so to speak. Yeah, if I had to draw a parallel to something um, something else, I would I would compare it less to language and more to, like, natural language and more to, like, you know, engineering. Um, okay. I mean, we, you know, people, I mean, we even call it software engineering. Um, so, you know, the, the words that you type into the computer, 
those are the um, movements that you make with your hands, uh, you know, as a car mechanic or something. Less engineering, more like mechanics, yeah, as a car mechanic, right? Yeah. And the programming language that you use, um, you know, th that's like your set of wrenches and stuff, like, um, because, you know, it, it is very um, mechanical, you know what I mean? Um, where it, it's meant to um, make a machine do something. Um, but, you know, I think that that analogy might become relevant once we start to incorporate AI into actually writing code, which I mean, we do sort of to an extent, but you know, for example, uh, Microsoft developing this thing where you can tell it what you want the program to do and it'll write a program for you. So that's a lot more like natural language where you give it suggestions and yeah. it figures out what you want. Uh, immediate, you know? Immediately I am thinking of the dude who automated his entire office without anybody in the office knowing because of how lazy he was. <laughs> I'm not, I'll send, yeah, I saw, I saw, I'll, I saw I'll the post that You should post that links. video, it's pretty interesting. It's, it's great, but this dude, and I think you'll enjoy this, I'm not sure if you heard this story. I haven't. Yeah. So, he was a coder who was working for this, like, medium-sized company, like, not a startup, not a Google, and he decided to automate most of everything. So he scripted nearly everything involving his job, like nearly everything. Everything that didn't involve him talking to a person, he scripted to the point of like craziness. It's a good program. He, he hacked into the coffee machine they had at work so that he could text it and it would make his coffee by the time he could walk the one minute to the room. We have that in my yeah. office, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. But, like, the coffee machine wasn't designed to do that. You're it was a coffee me machine. Program. Yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah. or it was a coffee program. machine that was designed for you to walk up and then using a touch screen and, like, press a button and then it would make you coffee. And that's fine. But he found out that it's actually connected to the internet in a super small way, found a vulnerability, hacked into it, and then added a script into it. So that if it texted a specific number, it would, like, make his cappuccino. That's pretty impressive. He <laughs> scripted it so that if he didn't clock into work, or if his... I, I can't remember if it was, like, an actual clock-in that he had, like, gone into, but I think it was, like, his phone. If his phone wasn't at the office by a certain time using a geotag, then it would send... It, like, when he was hungover, he, he admitted, like, I did this because I got hungover a lot and I couldn't go into work. It would... If by 9 o'clock he wasn't done or he at 9 a.m. if he wasn't awake and going off to work it would send an email to his to his uh, his boss saying oh hey you know I'm not not feeling too well I'm just gonna stay at home and do my work from home mm. uh, he made it so that when he left work the program would wait five minutes to make sure he didn't turn around to check I think it was like something like that and it would send an email to his, or send a text to his wife saying that, you know, I'm coming home. Like, his, like he never, <laughs> like, everything about this man's job Dad. was scripted or hacked That's so that he, didn't, he, he could be as lazy as possible. Right. <laughs> That's, That's fantastic. It's actually a, a tenet of good programming. It's the taught in programming books and stuff, you know, laziness, but go that ahead. That makes me beg the question, will the Internet of Things bring us fully automated luxury communism? Hopefully, um, I, it'll it'll definitely bring us the fully automated part. Um, oh, the, the luxury, luxury communism, luxury space us. communism is going to rely. Oh, I don't on care about space. Okay, space well, or no space, you know. I'm not gonna lie. Because I mean, automation, it, uh, you know, it, unless we change our political structures, automation is going to make a, a, a few people really, really rich, and it's not gonna really do much for everyone else. You know, um, we might get a guaranteed basic income at some point. You know, eventually. Uh, it's you know something's gonna have to give, but I don't think that you know everyone's gonna be living in luxury unless um, something changes. Right. That's um. So yeah, that's uh, the dark side of startup culture. Mm -hmm. I did want to talk to you about that. Um, looking at a lot of it, I saw yeah accusations that, and I know you really love your job, so I'm not like being like tell me the shit about your job. No, I hate startup culture. <laughs> um, yeah, like. <laughs> Accusations of that, like, yeah, a lot of them really overwork people, um, put a lot of stresses on them, uh, do things like... Um, they can get around laws for overtime <coughs> because they don't have enough workers. Yeah, and, um, like, that the... I don't know, it kind of... You, you just, when you came in today, uh, you had mentioned to me that you finished the book Violence by Zizek. Mm -hmm. um, and I've read that in the past, uh, and I believe in that book, 
he talks about um, what does he call it? Uh, oh, like the capitalism with a human face, or oh, um, uh, the liberal communists. Yeah, yeah. Um, it kind of reminded me of his critique of that when I was reading startup stuff about startup <laughs> culture. What they were saying. Oh yeah. Was uh yeah that it fell into that. Do you have anything? Uh, oh yeah, I agree. Did that strike you? Absolutely. Um, like, cause you know these companies like they like to believe just. So, you know, humans, nobody really, like, you know, generally will, will say, oh, I'm, I'm a bad person, you know? Yeah. Nobody thinks they're a bad nobody person. Nobody thinks they're a bad guy, yeah. Um, but you know, people do things that are morally wrong, yeah. or, you know, by, by, even by their own standards, and then they have to change their mind about it to make it okay. So these companies, a lot of these companies are completely superfluous. They may not be damaging the world. Right. But they're certainly not helping anything. And, you know, but they make themselves believe that they're making the world a better place, you know, by connecting people or by, you know, providing, um, you know, wholesome entertainment for families or whatever it is. Um, and and then that, that reflects in their marketing, you know, because that's what you have to do in marketing. I'm pretty sure you just uh, uh, prescribed cognitive dissonance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah dude, absolutely, yeah. Um, and that's how they remove that cognitive dissonance, you know. And so even my company, which, I mean, we are sort of doing a good thing. Um, you know, we're, we're um, our, our biggest selling point is you save money on power by using our automated lighting systems. So, cool, you know. I mean, in the long the run, use less coal, right? What's that? And in the long run, use less coal. Um, yeah, yeah, a lot of people are doing it. Exactly. I mean, um, in general, coal is dead anyway. So, so my company actually doesn't <laughs> but, claim to be good for the environment um, because I think that there might be some legal stuff involved in making that claim. But, um, but you know, oh, yeah, we're doing a great thing for the world. And I brought it up a few times. I'm like, you know, I don't think we're harming the world at all. I mean, I think what we're doing is it's fun and interesting, but it's not really that useful, you know. And uh, I hope nobody from my company is listening. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Um, you know, and my coworkers will argue with me about it, and I'm like, "Why are you arguing? It's not your company. You work for GUI. They have employed. You are giving. You are selling your time to GUI, and so that somebody else can make a lot of money, and you can make a decent amount of money. You know. So why are you so attached to? Because you have to. The thing is that people. There's a couple different things. People are searching for meanings. People are searching for. You know, they want some sort of like belief that what they're doing is connected to something higher than themselves. So like. If you're thinking about this from a strictly, just like a rational standpoint, yes, you're literally doing exactly what you described. You're selling your time, you know, so that someone can make some money and then you can make some money. Um, but if you think about it in those terms, some a lot of people don't want to think of themselves in such trivial terms. <laughs> right. They want to think of you know what they do and what they spend their time doing, or they choose to spend their time doing in some sort of like, oh, it affects this higher, you know, this it, it, it does something greater. You know, so right. and that's how they get through it. I agree. I think 100%. that a thing when it comes to startup culture is that most startups don't have a product or a service that actually will re revolutionize the world, and it just kind of comes down to this fact that like most ideas <laughs> and things aren't going to revolutionize revolutionize the world. We revolutionize the world, like everything from a social standpoint that could be changed is changed through us, not, you know, what color you can make the iPhone or, you know, how how greatly you can automate a coffee pot to automatically make you coffee in the morning. It all that, comes I down feel like to like that would change the do. world, honestly. Like, that would change my life. <laughs> but, <laughs> if I woke up to coffee, oh, you, you don't even know. You don't even know. You know, you know. You know. Yeah, in all seriousness, you know, yeah, like this smart coffee maker we have in my, in my office, <laughs> some company put probably millions of dollars into yep. developing this freaking coffee maker so that people could start coffee on the way to work. Yeah. Like, come on, like, you know what I mean? Like, if, if it didn't, but, and they used resources and, and like, people yeah, are buying, cool, people are throwing away their old coffee makers to buy these new coffee makers just because they want that convenience and it's like, you know, a bunch of just wasteful crap. Yeah. Just gets um, to me so, revolutionizing, what I often see as like, startup startups are revolutionizing is like the cool shit we're talking about like you have fun stuff at your work you're allowed to do um your own projects like google does their own projects they do yoga you know they have jujitsu classes <laughs> like all this really cool stuff and that would be great i want work to be like that you know my work's actually kind of practices a good amount of cultural capitalism as well um <laughs> i love it you know um right. it makes it more fun than a work that doesn't 
but it's still like and then with startups it seems even more of a gap there because it's super super fun and super autonomous you know like you guys have so much freedom and stuff uh but you're heavily 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 reliant upon venture capitalist funds like super rich people doing um you know seeding economic growth and whatnot uh and if it's all tech-based that's all stuff that's like developed by the state sector 50 60 years ago um and then brought in and now we're able to do all this cool stuff with it like computers and you know uh right i i think a thing with that is just startups have a problem of because they are the little guy they're trying to fight as hard as possible to make this or that idea seem more revolutionary or more palatable to the idea of, you know, spending your money on it, which any company does. Every single company on earth does this, and there's nothing really wrong with it, but I think that when we think about startups, we have this wrong assumption that, you know, startups are the little guy, and because of that, they're good, and they're awesome things, that they're trying to do all these great, awesome things. Yeah, (laughs) like, people have this, this thing in their head where it's, they hear a big name like Apple, Walmart, Google, Target, and they think, oh, giant corporation, that's bad. And then when they hear, like, of a small startup company, they might go, oh, well, that's cool that you have this, you know, you're only answering to one major boss, and blah, blah, blah. And they forget that the issue with the companies that we're talking about over here that are big corporations is bureaucracy. Bureaucracy. <laughs> Bureaucracy! Bureaucracy! Sorry. Sorry. Oh god, I can't say it now. I'm fucked up. Bureaucracy. Just go with it. So I'm just gonna go with it. So bureaucracy (laughs) in the world, but like the the idea of how humans manage other humans in the workforce is just as bad and prevalent in startup culture as any other company. You're still gonna have people in the startup world who might have been great people who are great for the team, and then once their use is done, they might get fired. And that's something yeah. that could happen. Like, if, if I had a startup company, and I'm trying to manage all of these finances, and I just got an investor, and I have an employee who might be a fantastic employee who's really helped us along the way, but, you know, once they reach the point where it's, I either fire this person or the entire vision of the company comes down. I don't know. I don't know if I can make that decision. That's that, that's actually one of the first things that that happens in the show Silicon Valley. Um, is this one one kid who's in the original group who just doesn't really have much to contribute. He's not bad, but he's not great. And the investors are very, you know, all right, let's cut out all the crap. <laughs> and so the you know he's faced with a choice between. And this is his friend, you know. And it's like, do you fire your best friend? Yeah. Um, for your business, or do you say no, put your foot down, and try to make it work? And yeah, Mark Zuckerberg, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, um, and I've actually seen it seen it happen, you know. And I mean, and and you know, it's yeah, people that you know weren't really contributing much to the project or whatever. Um, sometimes there are other reasons, you know, people don't, not getting along. But a lot sometimes it's been people that I liked and were my friends and stuff. And it's like um, I've actually talked to my boss about this, and and he hates doing that. You know, he's like. He just wants to be friends with everyone, but sometimes, um, if you know, the friendship and the business goals don't don't Go intersect, I, and I that mean, sucks. Like um, I, I hate that. <laughs> I don't know, you know, how to get around that. But MakerBot is Bot. that's a three D printing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the documentary on that is yeah amazing. It is amazing, but I that's the story. It. Yeah. That's really the it's big really part good. of we the story. That, is, we should post that. Yeah. The one of the yeah, investors <laughs> getting really good. I, I just think that that's the issue we have is that we've glorified startups as these these always good companies that are trying to you know give us a service and a product we'll that change the corrupt. world. Yeah. yeah, and there's nothing wrong with the idea that you know a company might change the world because they might. I mean, if it wasn't for IBM deciding to work with NASA, we wouldn't have the personal computer. It literally actually revolutionized the world. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not always the case. Yeah. Sometimes you're just making, you know, some fancy microwave. Yeah, a fancy microwave <laughs> that you can control from your phone or you're or making a juicer in, where your hands do a better job. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you know, like sometimes a ridiculous. Sometimes you have a, you have a really good idea that a company ends up 
borrowing from, like, with the Ouya, which was a bad product, but the idea was cool. They got bought out by Razer, and then Razer fixed the product, and now we have Razer scooters? Yes, Razer scooters. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> really, really technologically advanced scooters. Yes. They fly. <laughs> then you have Google, who decided to take the same technology of having an Android power, you know, TV box, and then just turning it into TVs. They, they started working with companies and looking at it and going, well, people really like Android, and they really like using Android TV boxes, so why don't we just work with them to make an Android TV? And they essentially just took a few of their products and threw them together. They just put an Android chip <laughs> into a TV that has Chromecasting features. That's it. You can control the entire TV from your phone. Which is sweet. Yay! <laughs> wow, we've solved world hunger. We have. I think that, like, when you think about it from the standpoint, and I think that you guys were talking about how we have this, like, kind of warped vision of what startups are and what they do and how much they actually contribute to society, I mean, I think that is correct, but then again, we have that same kind of view about a lot of people about companies in general. I mean, there's yeah, a lot oh, of yeah. companies that yeah. don't do anything that basically just, like, people have jobs that don't really need to exist, but we have a society in which you need to do these menial tasks in order to justify your existence. So I think what so we're we gotta make really them bigger than ourselves. Capitalism? There ain't three communists here. <laughs> we're always talking, talking about, about capitalism. <laughs> well, Alright, so yeah, what obviously though there's really unique things about startup that we want that we wanna save For sure. uh, the Risk-taking is pretty good because it can develop some really interesting stuff. Um, you know, yeah, and uh, like, we like some of the work structures. You seem to like a, a lot of them. Yeah, well, my company, like, a lot of the bad stuff, we don't, you don't, like, have, we, we yeah. don't do. I have a very low-pressure job, Yeah, but with a lot of those benefits. But I agree, like, the, the idea, crazy idea. What if, what if you treat your employees better and pay them better? <laughs> and, and, you know, and you make more money that way instead of you know saving money by paying your employees crap which makes the bosses treat the other employees like crap because nobody's happy and you know um, I think it just comes down to like people look at startups and they only see the good and they forget that the reason that we have this fascination with startups as like as the culture and as we view the culture why we make TV shows about them why we write books and do documentaries about them kind of comes down to this idea of we just want people to be treated better in general and we want to forget the fact that it's yeah. still a business. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think if we can take like what you guys were both just getting at, take some of that, that good stuff, you know, hey, let's like do, let's, you know, put cool stuff in our offices and like let give our employees like free time and stuff like that. Like even just as a gesture of, of uh, appreciation, you know, um, it, it's huge. It makes your employees are going to want to do their work well, you know, and and I think that when I first like originally when I first started up my, my job, um, it was a, a completely different atmosphere. I got more autonomy. Um, I basically was in charge of like kind of figuring out how the best way I would do my job, um, and it was a lot more freedom. I was constantly being told by you know uh, my higher ups, hey, you need to take time off because I liked <laughs> what I was doing. Yeah, it wasn't right. the fact that, like, you know, I was working 60, 65 hours a week because I liked my job. And then as soon as the culture started changing, it was more like, okay, this is what you're going to do. This is your job. And I kind of lost all that freedom. 40 hours a week. Yeah. You know, and that was, I work by 40 and then I go home. There's not as much investment in it. And once again, I'm hoping none of my <laughs> supervisors listen to this. But it's not that much investment. We're all screwed. Because, We're all inspired. <laughs> because they took away a lot of that, like, you know. But they took a lot of my buy-in away from the job, you know, and out of that they got a lot a less productive worker. Yeah, like I mean, interesting. Shit, dude, they lost literally. You are working fifty percent less than you, right? Yeah, I mean, you're working twenty hours less a week than you were, so that's that's huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's and huge. And that's not like you know unique to you. I mean, lots of people, I think, would have the same experience. You know, if they like they genuinely like their jobs, of course they're going to want to work more. Yeah, they yeah. enjoy it, you know. I mean, it also so. comes down to just individual companies too. There are people who, you know, might love their job but hate the people they work with, yeah. or love the people they work with but hate their job. I mean, I know people True. personally who have kept jobs literally because of friends. Yeah. They're like, it pays just enough that I can't really complain about the pay, mm -hmm. 
and I like the people here, but God, if a meteor crashed through <laughs> my Hi. office, I would be happy in my moment of death. Like, <laughs> and I, I, I would roast marshmallows on the smoldering ash of my building. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that that's a larger problem that we have, I would say, in, in the capitalist world is we keep on making this decision of, you know, we really want to do what we want. Like, we want to whatever we're interested in, we want to find a way to make money in it, which is why startups start to exist because people come up with an idea or a product and they're like, this is what I want to do. And then they start to make it happen. They start hiring people to help them. And then, you know, you either get bought out, you buy in, or you kind of just fizzle out and no one ever sees from you again. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just a thing that happens sometimes. And I think that we're starting to move away from that because people like working for startups, but again, you have the, the bad sections of, you know, you might get fired by your best friend. You might end up being cut loose once they go to sell the company. You may end up being the Steve Wozniak of your company where you've done all the work, you've pushed so far, you're still with the company, but you're worth 5% of the person who stood next to you in business. Right. And it's a sad thing that happened, but it happened. And I think that people are, in today's world, looking for jobs that they can be really passionate about without the worry and this expectation that they may just fail. Yeah. And I think that that's why people <laughs> like startups is because, yeah, I could go work at you know this corporation and make this much money, or I could help my best friend out and really work on this idea because I think that he has something and take the risk, and yeah, you're right, you may have to, you know, sell your house to make sure it's done. There have been a few cases of that, where people have literally, like, sold their house, and, or got a second mortgage just to keep their startup going, and then ended up getting really successful. And then you have people who did the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just think that that's, I think that's the thing, is that people want to live in a workforce where they like the people they're with for the most part you're not going to like every person you work with but more so they like what they're doing and they like the company and I don't I don't know many places where that exists mm -hmm. or could exist where all three criteria all, are met yeah, yeah at least to a point because even if you like you know half of the people you work with that's more than most people in yeah. any job. Like, yeah, I, I, lo I love the people I work with I, I don't <laughs> they're know, awesome I don't yeah I love a lot of the people three. I work with I just don't I don't know many people who have all three they either love their job and get paid shit, they get paid great, but they hate their job, they hate everyone they work with, they love everybody they work with, you know, their boss is awesome, their boss is shit, like... I actually have all three, that's pretty cool. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. You it's shut like, your I dirty think, mouth. <laughs> I, I think startup culture is something where it's finally what people want. They, they, you can find that trifecta more easily because, you know, every startup is different. Not every single corporation acts the same. Like they, they act the same in a porpoise, but like startups don't always have the same virtue to them. Oh you know, yeah, everything's a little bit different. I mean, look look at like you know the difference between like Netflix and Uber, or uh, okay, Lyft and Uber. Uh, no, I was going to say Netflix and Uber, but yeah, let's do Lyft and Uber. Like, well, I don't know too much about the internals of Lyft, but I've read a lot about um, work like people that have worked for Uber, and there's like rampant sexism way like more than like your average company um and there's i mean you can look it up online there's some horrifying sto stories about ex-uber employees um just being from all levels of management like all the way up just being treated like uh, female employees um, just completely disregarded and treated like crap sexually harassed hr doesn't take it seriously um and, you know and then you know there's a lot there's been a lot of uh, ethical um, objections to Uber coming from like the general population, um, some stuff that was happening with, um, during, just after the election, you know, um, and I guess that it's the the culture in Uber, from what I've heard, it's like a it's a meritocracy, like to the extreme. Um, so if you do your job well, you can treat other people like crap, and and you'll you know, and that's basically what these people have experienced there. Um, and then you've got yeah, other companies. I don't know about Lyft, but I just brought up Netflix because I brought up Netflix, yeah, because 
um, you know, I've, I've heard good things about working there. Um, the employees, for, for one thing, they make a ton of money, but um, it's a very competitive environment, you know, um, and in a lot of ways it is a meritocracy. Um, you know, they have a high, uh, sort of a high turnover, um, that, you know, whereas Google's more about like lifelong employees, Netflix um, is like a revolving door, but people generally enjoy their stay there. <clears throat> and, you know, both companies are successful. They're in completely different fields. So, so yeah, you see, you see a little bit of both. All right, I think that that's a, a pretty good place to leave, that, you know, we kind of all hope one day to get to that, that magical three of, you know, good pay, good co-workers, and just a job that we love. So, I'm Zach. I'm Adam. And I'm Kason. And our special guest today... Dustin! Awesome. See you guys. <laughs>